Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points and miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma. I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Just a quick trigger warning. In today's crash course, we talk about mental health struggles and suicide. If you are struggling or need to talk with someone, please call the Canadian Crisis Centre at 1-833-456-4566. Now, here's the show. Today's crash course is on a Canadian icon, and this icon is so huge in Canada that, honestly, I'm I'm a little bit worried about even touching this one. I'm looking in your general direction and with an E fans. Oh my gosh, they do not mess around. No, they do not. And, you know, we're with you. And with the knee fans, the Anne Hive. I mean, are we? I don't know. Okay. I don't know if we are. <laughs> well, uh, listen, here's what I'm going to say for people who don't know, just to clarify. Uh, if you if you don't mess with social media and you're a smart person and probably very happy in your life, uh, you don't know that Anne with an E fans uh, of the, the CBC show that ended um, go on social media and they profess their love for the show and they also comment under anything to do with CBC often about how they wish the show would come back. And I love the passion, but sometimes they're commenting under things that really, you know, if it's an article about someone who's like back lost away from their the life, Anhive, Leah, maybe back away. you don't kick need it up. to. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I wanted to look into the life of the creator of Anne of Green Gables. You know, she's written Anne of Green Gables, uh, Emily of New Moon. And, you know, she wrote 500 short stories, 21 novels, two collections of poetry, a ton of articles and essays. Uh, Her books have sold around 50 million copies across the world, and it's been translated into 40 languages. It's in Braille. It's, of course, an audiobook version. Her works have been adapted for film, TV, radio, and the stage. One of the first plays I was in in grade seven was Anne of Green Gables. Who were you? I played uh, Josie. Oh, you were the bad I one. Was the bad I was going to say a different B word. I was there. the bad girl. Yeah, <laughs> you I were forced the bad her to one. walk along the roof, and she fell off. Like that whole thing. It was That's great. That's a good part. It was a good meaty role. I would also add to this that I'm not saying that Anne with an E fans haven't read all the books, but. I would like you to shout out myself really poking at this. for reading all of the books. I had the, my sister had the series. I'm not going to brag, but like, where were you when I was reading Rilla of Ingleside, last one in the series? Like, do you know the names of her children? Like, I'm talking in depth. You know, I doubt it. This could go on for a while, folks. Where is your connection to the material? Yeah, she's an amazing oh writer, God. LM. Okay. Yes. I mean, and for this, you know, prolific body of work, 
what we don't hear about often is her struggles with mental health. Right. Uh, so today I thought we would talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So born in 1874 in Clifton, now known as New London, Prince Edward Island, Maud Montgomery, she was always called Maud or Maudie when she was a child. She lost her mother to tuberculosis before her second birthday. And even though she was so young, she remembered her mother's death, writing, I did not feel any sorrow, for I knew nothing of what it all meant. I was only vaguely troubled. Why was mother so still? And why was father crying? I reached down and laid my baby hand against my mother's cheek. Wow, that's so beautiful. But wow, she was so young to have those memories, I guess. But it was so sad, it would stick out, I guess. Yeah, 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 I guess. So the loss of her mother really stayed with her for her whole life. And shortly after her mother's death, her father would leave her in the care of her grandparents while he headed out west, eventually settling down in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, with a new young wife. And that's where he would start a new family. Oh, that's cold. That's brutal. But that, I mean, I know that happened a lot back then, but that's terrible. It's interesting. She kind of always idolized her father, even though he wasn't really a part of her life. Yeah. And so were her grandparents nice? Like, what was that life like for her? They got along to a certain degree, but her grandparents were older. They had already raised their kids and, you know, they weren't great playmates, I guess. Um, You know, Maude often wrote in her journals, journals she started keeping when she was nine. You know, she wrote about her childhood being a lonely one. And her temperament as a child seems to mirror that of her most famous character, Anne Shirley. Maud was a smart kid. You know, she could be quick to anger. She was imaginative to a fault sometimes. And she was often the subject of town gossip. Ooh, town gossip. That's very scandalous. I mean, listen, you're not doing anything right if you're not part of the town gossip. People got to talk about something. (laughs) That's right. right. Might as well be you. She does sound like this amazing character that she created. You can tell she pulled a lot from her life and put it into the Anne character, into that Anne universe for sure. Mm -hmm. So she did eventually head out west for a little while to live with her father and his new family, but she hated it. You know, they took her out of school and they, you know, put her to work doing chores in the house, cleaning, cooking, taking care of her new half-siblings. Maud would be a teacher for a short amount of time, but then she returned to school, attending Dalhousie University in Halifax for English Lit. But she couldn't afford it, and so she had to drop out. But even so, this is where she first started to get paid for her writing, publishing under the name L.M. Montgomery so that no one would know that she was a woman. Isn't it weird? Because women are still doing that in 2020. To Absolutely. And like I just read this article a couple of days ago where a lot of female authors who published back in the day are now uh, there's going to be presses of their new books with their actual name. So, you know, people like uh, George Eliot, who wrote Middlemarch, is going to the book will be republished under her real name Marie Ann Evans. So I thought that was cool, like an interesting parallel. So you're not planning to write your next book or, or new book <laughs> as FM FM Johnson? <laughs> Although it sounds like a radio station, like FM Johnson, we play country? I don't weird know. Country and... Uh, I think it's talk radio, FM Johnson. <laughs> I mean, so she... She was writing a lot. She was writing. She was starting to get paid. And then what happens? Yeah. Her grandfather passed away. And so she returned to Cavendish to take care of her aging grandmother. And she wrote a lot at this time. And she was able to actually start making some money. Which is amazing for a woman at that time to be making money at writing. I mean, hell, it's amazing for a woman now in 2020 to make a living at writing. So good for her. Yeah. I mean, she did face a good amount of rejection, but she made some money. And in 1905, she wrote her first and most famous novel, 
and of Green Gables. Wow, that was her first, hey? Like, talk about hitting it out of the park. I know. So, yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, this iconic story is the story of an orphan, Anne Shirley, who was adopted by a brother and sister that farmed their land called Green Gables in PEI. Their names are Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert. They think that they're getting a boy, but Anne is sent instead by accident, which Matthew calls Providence. You know why I know that? Because I read the books. <laughs> and so basically what ends up happening is they form this unusual family for the time. And we see Anne really doing a lot of what could be considered very feminist yeah. things at the time. She wants to have a profession. She gets her best friend drunk, which is the best part. <laughs> Or gets her best friend accidentally drunk. <laughs> yeah, she gets Diana totally drunk. She has this kind of contentious relationship with Gilbert Blythe, who becomes her, you know, love throughout all of the mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. The entire series, she follows the life of Anne, and we see her through her career, and then marriage to Gilbert, and then family, and then eventually her children. So it's an amazing series. You're really doing a, a whole, yeah, you're doing a, a deep dive into oh, this. Oh, no, I read yeah. them. No, you really and did you read know all what? the books. They're, they're, um, the thing about those books, too, and the reason she's such an amazing writer is she uses imagery in those books. You can see Prince Edward Island if you've never seen it before. You get this idea of what that place and time look like, and it's so vivid. And I think that is why so many people have connected to these books, because she just paints this this dream world of a place that maybe before people hadn't really thought of as a, a wonderland, which is Prince Edward Island. That's lasted for how long now? I mean... That's such a big part of their tourism, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it seems pretty hard to imagine now, but at the time, the novel was rejected by multiple publishers. You know, Mm -hmm. more on that in a minute. Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points in miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma... I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote-unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts. Maud put the book away into a hat box, which I just love. Like, she put it away in a hat box. And she let it sit there for a couple of years until 1907 when she reread it. And she was like, oh, damn, this is actually pretty good. I mean, we've been there. I have many hat boxes full of work. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I need more hat boxes. (laughs) All right. So after she reread it, she sent the manuscript off again, and it was accepted for publication by Page Company of Boston. And the following year, it was published. It became an immediate bestseller, so much so that when she got her copy in the mail, it came with a letter saying they were going into the second printing. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, that's huge. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. So... Maud's grandmother passed away in 1911, and that same year, Maud married Reverend Ewan MacDonald. The two had actually been secretly engaged for years, but she wanted to wait until the passing of her grandmother to marry. So the couple, they moved to uh, Leakesdale in southern Ontario, and there they started to have a family. They had three sons, Chester, Hugh, who was unfortunately stillborn, and their youngest son, Stuart. 
Maud raised the children and assisted her husband at the church where he was reverend. And of course, she wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. That sounds like a lot. I know, right? I know. I'm like, one of those things would be enough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is when life sort of begins to really take a turn. The pain and the death of her stillborn son, Hugh, was really present in her life. And World War One, you know, was going on. And so the horrors of that were everywhere. And also her husband, Ewan, his mental state was starting to slip. Ewan had what now we would think of as clinical depression, uh, but he was also exhibiting symptoms of schizophrenia, like hearing voices. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, and to make matters worse, Maud's work was beginning to be criticized as passe or, or sugary or not modern in this new post-war era. And by who? Why? What's wrong with people? Guess. Mostly dudes. Men. Yeah. There was this move towards post-war modernism, right? And Maud's work, it just didn't really seem to fit into that world, which is Super annoying because, you know, I read her books kept many men on the front lines of war company. You know, it acted as a, a reminder for many of domestic life and domestic happiness that they were there fighting for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was also struggling with her publisher. She was fighting to retain the rights to her work. Things were starting to be really stressful. Mm-hmm. So the family moved south um, near what is now Halton Hills, so near Toronto, um, and they settled there. But the problems followed. Ewan's condition worsened, and he actually had to spend a few months in a sanitarium in Guelph in 1934. And this seems to have impacted Maud more and more, his sort of declining mental state. Right. Soon, Maud was taking barbiturates to cope with nightmares, insomnia, mood swings, headaches, and trembling hands, which I can only imagine would make it really difficult to write. Yeah. And and what did all that medication do? Did it help or? Yeah, I mean, well, barbiturates are a sedative, right? They're prescribed for anxiety, nerves and insomnia. Maud began adding bromides to them, um, which is another sedative drug. And then when, you know, because if you're starting to take more and more medication, right, it stops to work. And so, yeah. So then she added the, you know, the third ingredient to the barbiturates and bromides and that was brandy. Right. So, yeah, she just good. was layering on a lot of stuff. You know, and these medications, they were relatively new at the time. So the effects of them, especially prolonged effects, weren't really understood. Mm-hmm. Maud and Ewan moved one final time, this time to Toronto, to a house that Maud dubbed Journey's End. And unfortunately, it was. In 1942, the same day her Anne of Green Gables sequel was delivered to her publisher. This was the final installment of the books. Maud was found dead of an apparent suicide. This is contested by some, whether it was a suicide or not, but the note found near her said this. I've lost my mind by spells, and I do not dare to think what I may do in those spells. May God forgive me, and I hope everyone else will forgive me, even though they cannot understand. My position is too awful to endure, and nobody realizes it. What an end to a life in which I always tried to do my best in spite of many mistakes. So Maud was laid to rest in Cavendish in PEI near her family home. I'm glad she got to be home, you know, in PEI, the place she loved. And one thing I didn't really know is that she had lived in Ontario so long. I don't really think yeah, about... Yeah, I didn't know that either. Because she's so connected to the Maritimes and to PEI. Mm-hmm. 
And she made it so famous. That is something I've always wondered about, though, is her global popularity. Like, she and Anne are everywhere. I mean, she's very big in Japan. Isn't that right? Like, how did that happen? Yes. So this is super interesting. So Anne of Green Gables, the the novel, was given to a Japanese woman by a Canadian missionary. Uh, This Japanese woman's name was Hanako Moroka. And this was during World War II. And so... She was secretly translating this novel um, into Japanese. And when she finished, it was published in 1952. And so once it was published, love of the novel was pretty widespread and took off like right away. It's not unusual to see Japanese visitors at Cavendish, but these visitors aren't tourists. They're here to shoot a live show about life on PEI. And this being a show for Japanese viewers, it's centered around Green Gables House in Cavendish, the home of the popular fictional character, Anne of Green Gables. PEI is one of uh, their dreams to visit one day because everybody knows Anne of Green Gables in Japan. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, there's like, I think there's actually a theme park, an Anne of Green Gables theme park in Japan. Um, There was an anime in the 70s uh, that came out, and then another one in 2009 that was based on a prequel written by Budge Wilson. Uh, That one's called Konnichiwa Anne, Before Green Gables, and I watched a bit of that. It's super cute. Uh, it's on YouTube. You know, and the popularity of Anne in Japan is attributed to a number of things. Some say that in post-war Japan, it functioned as a sort of propaganda to sort of point Japanese women towards less traditional Japanese gender roles and to take on more Western styles. Others say it's because the Anne books are full of kawaii, which means cute uh, or romantic or beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to see many Japanese people making almost a pilgrimage from Japan to PEI to see all things Anne. Like, it's oh, a yeah. huge draw. It's a huge part of the, yeah, it's a huge part of the tourist, like, the mm-hmm. tourist industry there, for sure. So in 2008, the last of Maud's journals were published. The journal said she had kept all her life. And her granddaughter uh, wrote an article for the Globe and Mail speaking about her grandmother. Although she had never met her grandmother, she really wanted to help draw awareness to mental health and her grandmother's struggles. Amazing. We'll link to it um, in our social or something. But yeah, it's quite nice to read. And Maud's legacy, it lives on and it is far reaching. You know, the thing that I wish I could tell her is that her books would go on to help So many people, so many, especially young women who are, you know, coming of age, that really awkward time in your life when you're trying to figure out, you know, who you are and what emotions you're feeling and, you know, what you stand for. I have to say, now that I know all of this stuff about L.M. Montgomery's life, I won't look at Anne of Green Gables the same ever. I mean, so true. And I think, all joking aside, that is why we see this dogged passion from Anne with an E fans because they feel the same way about you know this interpretation of Anne as I do about the books that I read as a kid so I know right now the petition is over a million signatures and I pledge to you Anne with an E fans that when CBC actually opens back up I will figure out where the TV people sit (laughs) I'm always lost in the building and I will deliver your petition in my hands that's mm-hmm. all i can promise i can't yeah. promise you it's yeah. going to be back on though yeah anyway love lm i love her 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.